As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Sweden has a forestry show with more than 100,000 people. Vegas has a carpet show with more than 100,000 people. Vegas has a chair convention with more than 100,000 people. And you think cha- a chair, a chair and, convention. And you think chairs. Is it standing room only? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. So I was. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're having a stupendous week. We have a great episode for you this week, and it is something that I'd like to try to start to do more of, um, which is an update with a past guest. So a couple of weeks ago, listeners will recall, we had on Patty Cosgrave, who's the founder of Web Summit, which is the biggest tech conference in Europe. It has about 75,000 people show up every year in Lisbon. It's a very big to-do. And anyhow, when I interviewed Patty, he was about to attempt a big experiment. His company's other conference, Collision, was scheduled for Toronto, and it was going to be about 30,000 people. Of course, because of COVID, it got canceled. And so instead, he decided to push ahead with a virtual conference, 30,000 people online from all over the world, kind of logging in. And he said at the time when we spoke a couple months ago that, you know, this was kind of a knife-edge thing. It could either be great and be kind of a proving ground for his company and more broadly for the trillion-dollar conference industry, or it could be a total disaster and you have to fire a bunch of people because all of a sudden his company would not be able to do the business that it is in business to do. So that is where we left off with Patty two months ago. Since then, he has done the Collision Conference called Collision at Home. So I wanted to check in with him to see how it went. And in the intervening time, it was also announced that Web Summit, the event in Lisbon, will also be virtual. Uh, That's now happening in December, I believe. So we were left on this cliffhanger, so I wanted to catch up with Patty, talk about what worked what didn't, you know, if it kind of got off the ground or was a disaster, um, and also what he learned there and what he plans to incorporate into Web Summit, which is obviously a much bigger event happening later this year. So I think you'll enjoy this one, not least because it's a really interesting example of one company who's having to just completely turn on a dime in the pandemic, which is not unique, and the perils and potential that come along with basically having to just throw up everything in the air and try something different. So with that, I will give you now Patty Cosgrave, founder of Web Summit. Enjoy. So we spoke, what, almost exactly two months ago, and you were about to do Collision Conference 
25, 30,000 people, a big kind of virtual conference, kind of a test really to see if this was actually going to work. Yeah. So first of all, how did it go? And are there three things that went wildly better than you thought and three things that went that just did not work? Because obviously the, the going forward, you're doing Web Summit, which is many times bigger in Europe. You're doing that virtual now, which is also yeah. you've decided since we last spoke. Very good questions. Collision from home was our demo day. We had an idea that the software would work, but we'd never used it before. Like the virtual meeting software. Yeah, that that we built. I mean, we spent years building software, so we had had a a strong head start over anybody else. And when we were talking to all these other large conference organizers, we're pulling out their hair, going, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're just building our own software. They're like, oh, wow, we can't do that. So we were uncertain, obviously, whether it would work. Um, It worked. And then secondly, would people think it was a good attempt or a good approach at solving this uh, problem. And the problem I see with large conferences online is networking. Yeah. To me, that's the magic of events. Speakers, you're all incredibly important. And you're 20 minutes. That's why everybody's there. Not really. Uh, everybody's there. Even the speakers are there just to meet each other ba- backstage. Yeah. Uh, that's the magic of most of these events. And so the the reception, certainly from... Journalists who I, uh, you know, I often think are great, you know, their cynicism, journalists aren't that, aren't that cynical, but, but some of them are, and they won't hesitate when it comes to, you know, a tech conference lacerating yeah. it if it was kind of crap. Yeah. So the feedback was, was very, very positive. And that's led to lots of really interesting conversations with many of the biggest trade shows and conferences in the world who are all scrambling to find a platform that could work for them in particular into 2021. So we've been very fortunate. We obviously learned we learned lots in terms of what people spend their time doing, and we're just busy building more features and enriching uh, the features that we did build. So, so how so how many people ended up showing up to the virtual conference? Just over thirty two thousand. The geographic spread of Collision, which normally takes place in Toronto, was very very different in that it was much much more global. So we had mm. more. More people from Kazakhstan attending an event that would usually happen in Toronto than ever before. And that's really because you didn't have to fly anywhere and you didn't have to pay for a hotel room. So, you know, it's a hundred bucks and you can join, you know, a pretty incredible group, a stellar group of the many of the world's leading venture capitalists, tech journalists, you know, all milling around. There's good opportunities to meet with, you know, with some of those people, learn from them if you're not going to get to interact from them through workshops and roundtables and, and the talks. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what happened. And so what worked and then we'll get to what didn't work by the Thursday, the pattern, the thing that people seemed most hooked on was one-to-one meetings. So just inside this conference platform collision from home, we enable people to do a zoom call with each other. Uh, and, right. and we thought people would be much more interested in just hanging out in groups and chatting to each other. But that turns out to be a really weird experience because if you have an open video room that people can just drop in and drop out, it's people just keep jumping into a conversation. Yeah. It's really hard to navigate that conversation. So that turns out it doesn't really work. Having an open video discussion room on a topic doesn't work. A pre-scheduled one will work and we'll stick to those uh, in future. What people defaulted by the Thursday, the main behavior, driving behavior, were one-to-one interactions, either one-to-one video calls or mingling. So we enabled this feature where you could just sit there 
and you just be matched with somebody every three months. Oh, this is like the, the chat roulette function. It's like chat roulette, but um, better. Without the, uh, without the X-rated aspect of it. Um, but that works. So, so we're led to believe. Um, so, <laughs> so um, yes, some people really love that. Like, uh, you know, some so people... So you just sit there and then your algorithm suggests person X. Here they are. Bing. Yeah, I mean, some, some people did more than a thousand minutes of... I don't know how much a thousand minutes works. They did more than somewhere. Between, there's a whole cohort of people between 300 and 500 of those meetings. So they're three minutes each. Yeah. So it's over a thousand minutes, which is however many hours they just sat there just going around and around. Oh, wow. And so I was doing that as well. And it was very fascinating to realize the geographic spread of the event had changed dramatically. I'm based in Dublin. The event was running on Toronto hours. So at 9 a.m. I'd, I'd log on and start mingling with people and I'd, I'd find a lot of a lot of Asian attendees uh, from places like Japan because by the time it got to 6 p.m. my time, you know, it was 2 a.m. in the morning in Japan, but it was only lunchtime in uh, in Toronto. So is, there, is the idea that, that this was much more kind of 24-hour, basically? Yeah, it was much more 24-hour, and I think that was possibly a mistake that we made that we probably should have just kept it open Maybe not for 24 hours a day because you're trying to get as many people from around the world to overlap as possible. Yeah. And we had it all around like six hours of content and a little hour either, either kind of side. Whereas actually, I think we should have extended that out to maybe 12 or 14 hours. And, you know, right. I think the FOMO that's created by all these scheduled rooms where you can drop in a small world conversation with Shaq or some tech CEO creates a degree of FOMO that rooms could fill up that you couldn't get into, that there were rooms being created by speakers that they're private, so you can't see them and you have to be invited into them. That kind of drives a lot of, sadly, drives a lot of human behavior at real world conferences as well. Everybody's like, by about 4 p.m., going, what dinner are you going to? Oh, that dinner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To, oh yeah, I can't make it to that dinner, which really means I didn't get an invite to that dinner. I've, I've already got plans. I'd have <laughs> yeah, gone. exactly. I'd have gone to the New York Times dinner, but um, yeah, I've, I've plans already. <laughs> so what didn't work? What what were what were some of the things we were like? Oh, this is gonna. This is what people are really gonna like, and they're just like, oh no, never mind. So uh, having these um, rooms, open rooms, where people could just drop in, and there were groups of people, and you could just join a conversation. It doesn't work when there's eight people in a room and somebody just joins like, oh, hello, Danny. We were just talking. Oh, hello, Catherine. And, you know, it's just doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work as an experience. It's more like, hey, at midday, there are 20 rooms that will start. They're being moderated by these people. It's a discussion. There's room for up to 12 people. And there's just very set topics of discussion. If you, if you want to apply to join that room, the moderator you know, can yeah. um, select you based on relevance. So that that didn't work on the opening day. You know, there's some minor things that become major things, even though they're technically only minor things. So our we were using a third party QR code authentication kind of yeah. it's called SDK that kind of had a meltdown when about five thousand people tried to log on with about five minutes before the event started. So it turns out that the behavior of attendees at a virtual conference is very different to behavior of attendees at a real world conference. At a real mm. world conference, doors open at 7am, first talks are at 10, people just meander in at all different times. Yeah. In a virtual conference, everybody's like, oh, it kicks off at three, I better I better kind of log on about five minutes yeah. before or whatever. So there's a kind of um, you know minor technical glitch at the start where thousands of people suddenly... Uh, they had no way of um, using their phone to activate the, the the web app. That's a very technical thing. 
anyway, it was resolved. Is there anything anything else that didn't um, that didn't work? We had a live chat for the talks. Then you know there might be two, three, four thousand people watching them, and we just banned links because people were, you know, kind of spamming it a little bit. So we just allowed people right. drop in links. And we, did, we made that change during the event. It's a great thing about software. If it was a real-world event, you can't really fix it till the next year, but you yeah. can fix it in real time at software. And then we hit emojis so people could throw tomatoes at speakers. And we learned that we should give speakers the ability to hide those uh, um, kind of favicons or emojis. Oh, because it would be showing up on their screen. Yeah, it's, so some of the talks are live. Some of them, are, A lot of them were kind of pre-recorded. And then also attendees. You know, if you're watching a talk with 4,000 people, and lots of people are like doing thumbs up. The screen just becomes very, very cluttered. So a lot of people, yeah. we gave people the option of just turning off those live reactions. People like those live. Well, some, if I was some, talking in like the big room yeah. and I was getting just pelted with virtual tomatoes, that would be really like, that would be a bummer and really distracting. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a good vibe. You know, we, you just make, you get that little bit of feedback. It'll be very polite. You know, we thought so-and-so's talk, you know, one of Google's most prized executives was fantastic. We did notice a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> You're like, okay, we'll we'll take care of that. <laughs> you know, these are these sound like minor things, but they, they they could really become major corporate incidents. For sure, for sure. So, how are you feeling generally? So, because since the last two months since we last spoke, yeah, you know, there's been reopenings. There's been kind of rolling back of reopenings. It doesn't feel like the business conference as a thing is going to be, or the conferences in general, or really mm. gatherings of people, is kind of going to be one of the last things that returns? Yeah, I think so. But but now that Putin has announced that there's a vaccine, we can all... Thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> we can all breathe a sigh of relief. And, and no, I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm sure they actually have a working vaccine, whether it's the vaccine that becomes widely available in America or in Europe yeah. is another question. However, for us... I think we're still operating on the basis that it will be kind of Q3 2021 before our conferences in the real world are back in, in some form uh, or shape. So like another, yeah, like a year from now. A year, you know, a year from yeah. now. You know, I'm, that's I'm, what it seems a lot of people are kind of thinking about in terms of a hopeful but reasonable return to what, you know, some semblance of normalcy. I mean, when I hear Tony Fauci, is it Fauci? Yeah. The, you know, he's one of the last remaining credible figures of, in authority in the United States. Say, oh, we're going to really have something by November, maybe. But I'm still yeah. going to remain uh, on the conservative yeah. side of, of of that kind of consensus, even though I shouldn't. So, so how do you feel? How are you feeling now? So you've done this. You did the demo day with thirty thousand people and figured out that maybe virtual tomatoes. We should hide those and various other bits and pieces. Yeah. But do you think as a as a fundamental proposition, doing conferences online is viable as a business? Oh, I think it's viable. I don't think they'll ever replace the vibrancy of real world interactions. That's just my view. I will say for some of our attendees that have come to many of our events for many years, I mean, you can see some, I can share some of it from Twitter. Their feedback is quite frank that this was the best conference we'd ever organized primarily because they didn't have to deal with randomers approaching them with business cards who are heads of bd from some company they really didn't want to interact with yeah. so all the interaction was very controlled and so for a lot of people that maybe aren't necessarily as gregarious as other people 
uh, this was a great experience. But I think for most people, this is a viable proposition in the current environment. We've demonstrated there are other ways of doing it, but I think a, a good way of doing it that gives us a path forward for Web Summit in December. And I'd also help, hope that we'll be able to help some other very large trade shows and conferences transition for a period to an online only environment over the coming kind of 12 months. And that decision to, because again, last time we spoke, Web Summit is like your marquee event. It's how many people is it usually? So 100,000 or 100, something like that? Yeah, I mean, all in. Uh, 75,000? Yeah, t- ticket holders is, is just over 70,000. And uh, all in, as the chief of police in Lisbon insisted last year, was 82,000 as far as they were concerned. But that counts right. people that are not attending the event. They're like right. physically running around with pliers, fixing people's stands. And uh, right. they do an integral job, but we don't count them as attendees. Making that decision to go virtual, how does that process work in terms of the city itself, who's, you know, obviously counting on this huge just wave of income that comes with, you know, four or five or six days of people being in town and hotels and restaurants and everything else? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Well, you know, I think for, for Portugal and the same for Canada, the, the reason they partnered with us initially was absolutely there's a, an immediate short-term economic benefit, but it more had to do with the kind of long-term positioning of Portugal and of Portuguese companies as opposed to the benefits from you know short term business tourism so portugal as as a tourist destination you know pre web summit was abs- was already kind of absolutely absolutely booming and it's with that in mind for web summit as was the case for uh, collision we will just weave portugal into the online experience uh, as much as possible so the two main presenters for collision were broadcasting from canada and in the case of portugal because now I think the lockdown will have been eased somewhat. We're going to do a lot of the kind of um, broadcasting or moderating from you know historic locations, not just in Lisbon, but all across Portugal. So it'll feel a little bit like the Eurovision, I think, <laughs> through the guise of a of a of a virtual tech conference. I'm guessing they understand the the decision because again, it's a it's a big economic hit for the for the city. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, COVID in general has, you know, for all of us, for every country has has mauled, you know, has just blown an unprecedented hole in GDP. Yeah. And anything we can do, we're going to do. So we're keeping a very close eye on all of the regulations with regard to real world events. And if there is a possibility even to run a, you know, a small event in the primary venue if even just for Portuguese startups and partners, we will um, we will do that. And so you have the Web Summit, you have Collision, and then you have the Hong Kong event. So that's this is basically you're presuming that at least for the next year, it's all this is what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's incredibly hard to predict. And um, you know, in the interim, the ability for us, uh, and we'll start to do this uh, through September, to start to run smaller uh, conferences on niche topics. So could be on data science, could be on TikTok. We're able to spin those up at an, you know, very easily, at very low cost to us. It's our software and um, bring people together. Whereas before we'd have to find some location in the world, persuade people that they should all come get together yeah. to talk about this topic. So, you know, while some doors have closed, other doors have opened. So there's, you know, yeah. there's pluses and minuses. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And as a, as a business, I mean, you charge less for Collision. I presume you're charging less for Web Summit, correct? That's correct. Yep. Does it work as a business or does it work better because you have so much less in terms of production costs and venue and crew and all of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it was a big question. When we started charging um, 100 bucks for tickets to Collision at the start, they went up to, say, $150 for the basic tickets. I think a lot of people... Thought that was ridiculous because most conference adopted just to do it for free online. In the end, you know, I'm sure it's worked out for other people. It worked out for us. For our partners, they were taking a punt to a degree. Our attendees were as well to get involved. We had about 200 corporate partners, all the kind of tech companies and various other companies involved. And demonstrating the event has been helpful because now it creates a market for us for Web Summit where it just becomes much easier to you know, persuade all our existing partners and newer partners, you know, to get involved in the event. So, you know, again, I think we're just a really bad example. Had, you know, we've been building software our entire existence. It's been yeah. our only, you know, I'd love to say we're more creative. We're just more magnetic and we can persuade better speakers and we're better at marketing. And, you know, but that's not, that's not really the case. The, the only, if you dug down and did some type of case study, the really only remarkable kind of marked, I mean, marked difference between us and all these other events is just that we've been building software covering all elements of the event. So when you come and register, that whole experience is our software. When you're navigating the event using a mobile app, that's our software. When your QR code on your badge is getting scanned, that's our software. Our production team uses software that we've built. And that's been, that's kind of us. So we're a bad example in that we've been a, a software business for a decade. So suddenly when the world goes on, on lockdown, software companies are by and large thriving. We're kind of a hybrid company. We use software mostly up until now to produce real world events, but we just kind of got lucky that we were able to pivot. And I feel for so many of my friends that are running events and their businesses are 100% analog, there are platforms that they can use. But a lot of those platforms are certainly great for 100, 200 person events. Mm. Um, but, those, but those platforms aren't, as of yet, and I think they're evolving very fast, they're not, they're not great for events of 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 uh, 100, people. I think that the challenges on the back end for the organizers 
are somewhat different and what partners are looking for is often very bespoke. It's not, oh, I have an online profile and people can schedule yeah. meetings with me. It's, a, it's you know, Microsoft can, t- you know, they're not, they're not really looking for that um, from a, a big trade show that they participate in. The, yeah. Their interests are multifaceted and there's 12 arms of the, of the business involved and they all have different uh, goals. And you, you have to try and satisfy that. And with a kind of little cookie cutter online virtual conference platform, it's very difficult to do. So we're lucky. We're kind of a bad example I feel for a lot of these other events, and I'm sure many of them are going to go to the wall very, very sadly, but I do hope most of them come back in 2021 or 2022. Is there a world where you see this actually long-term being kind of creating a kind of a new business to this idea of like, well, we've been building conference software for a decade. We can spin that up as a business because even in even after a vaccine, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot more virtualized events. Yeah. It feels like, and I don't know if, you know, it's kind of crises create opportunities, but like, oh, people are realizing just like with Zoom, I yep. used to never, ever do podcasts on Zoom. Oh, I know. You think it was just below you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And it's just like, it's always so much better in person. And I think that is broadly true. Yeah. But you do it and you're like, actually, this mostly works. And it feels like a lot of people have come to that realization with the kind of virtualization of, of kind of any white collar work in one way or another. So I'm just wondering if you see that this as like, oh, actually we can kind of create this whole new thing where we're just like become a conference, you know, platform for others. Oh, yes. So, you know, we're literally talking to to, to hundreds of large event uh, organizers. I certainly think selling software will become a significant part of our business, but I also think the future of conferences is increasingly hybrid. That I think even when, let's say, in real life conferences return, most of those conferences will have a online only offering. So you're in New Zealand, you don't want to fly all the way to Miami. You'll do that every two years. You'll sit every other year out and you'll just join uh, virtually. So, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's almost like hybrid cars. It's a, a Prius moment for us. For us, it's kind of, you know, I used the example before of Pixar. Pixar was building software to make these animated movies and people are like, that's kind of a crazy idea. And then they made Toy Story and everyone's like, wow, that's an awesome idea. Obviously, we all knew this was obviously a great idea, yeah. obviously. And then other people were like, actually, could we maybe make some of those types of cartoons too? Do you have any software? And Pixar are like, oh, actually, yeah, we were thinking of, you could license some of our software. And out of that came Pixar Renderman and some kind of other software. And I mean, we're no, we're no Pixar, but um you know, we've just, we happen to have been building software. A lot of people thought that was a really silly idea. Why were you doing it in a pre-pandemic world? Why do that? No grand plan. It just seemed like I was involved in building software from as a kid and started organizing an event, had 200 people at the first event. They were going to have three nights technically out and about. Everybody was there as a cohesive group. They were going to go on a pub crawl. They're going to have seated lunches. So I was like, oh, well, what's the optimal way to mix everybody together? Uh, let's just write a, you know, a very basic s- script. People might call it a program. Other people might call it an AI algorithm or something. It was just a script for optimally yeah. randomizing groups of, uh, at the time, 12 people over six different moments. You, put, you write in some constraints. You're like, I don't want all investors ever sitting at a table. I don't want all guys ever sitting at a table. Let's try 
have some sort of mixing and then let's let's create some op an optimal randomization uh, of that group over those six moments and little things like that these little initial scripts or pieces of software then started turning into something a little bit bigger and then something a little bit bigger and then suddenly we had like you know considerable pieces of software that were running different elements of the event that when other event organizers might come to our ops room during an event they're like what, what are all these screens for and we're like oh we're just like monitoring all the pieces of equipment that arrive at the event and we're dispatching tasks to right. people and you know it's it's a way of doing it we think it's just more efficient anyway it just came about because i just thought software is a good way to solve problems and you can do these things manually and people do a great job but i think sometimes there's a more efficient way to do that and software in the end is eating the world and yeah conferences and events are not going to escape it um it's just you know well to that idea of the hybridization of the industry this is a huge industry in a way that probably most people don't realize absolutely i mean you read the kind of pwc reports and you're like oh this is like literally a trillion dollar industry it's just so it's so massive it's so fundamental so it's like bigger than bigger than music for oh, example. oh yeah it's bigger than all live music all live sports times 10 so both of those combined times 10 you know you think right. of you think of tourism you know uh, i forget the exact percentage you know something like 20 percent of all air travel is business and of that half of that is related to business events it's, it's you know vegas people mightn't see it but vegas is just it's just literally during the week is just non-stop trade shows conferences and that's you know when real real money comes in yeah and that's the same for so many german cities and and People just don't think, sorry, I'm going on a big tangent here, but people don't no, think no. that there are still major book fairs, that there are, you know, there's lights behind me. There are huge trade shows for lighting events. Two of the biggest cardboard uh, conferences in the world, trade shows, <laughs> one in Singapore. And you go, how many people go to that? It's like, oh, 150,000. Who could possibly go to that? Well, it turns for out- a cardboard conference. Oh yeah, because it turns out Apple and Walmart really care about cardboard. And guess who else? So does Amazon and so does Deutsche Post, uh, you know, and so does, um, you know, lots of the airlines, like packaging the world, everything ships inside cardboard, it turns out. Yeah. And- um, Cardboard technology, you know, you just don't think that these are big industries, but at the end of the day, they are actually massive industries and they have to have their annual get togethers at a global scale. Then they'll have a smaller regional event and then they'll have niche events uh, with it, uh, within that. So it's a big industry. Sorry to go on a mad tangent. No, no, it's, I mean, 150,000 people getting together to talk about cardboard. That sounds exciting. I mean, China's got three concrete <laughs> trade shows with more than 100,000 people at each of them. I mean, it's just, uh, Sweden Sweden has a forestry show with more than 100,000 people. Vegas has a carpet show with more than 100,000 people. Vegas has a chair convention with more than 100,000 people. And you think- A chair, a chair and, convention. And you think chairs- Is it standing room only? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. So I was, <laughs> I, I flew from Vegas to Denver and Denver to Frankfurt. And the whole way I sat beside a very- notable German chair designer. And he'd just been at this massive chair convention. And I laughed as you had laughed. And he picked up my phone and he said, right now there are more chairs in the world than there are smartphones. So yes, it's a big industry. And uh, he worked for <laughs> Siemens and Siemens globally replaced about 100,000 chairs a year. And um, he was somehow kind of involved. He was just like, don't, 
don't knock chairs. It's a huge, you know, nothing about this boy. This is a massive industry. It's worth billions. I was, I just, I kind of, he was, he was very, very captivating. He persuaded me to buy a chair that had no center of gravity, which I then bought. Wow. And the whole idea was that it fixes lower back problems because over time on ergonomically designed chairs, your lower back flexors or something like that become incredibly unstable and weak. And that's mm. the primary cause. So how's your chair? How's your, how's the chair? It was so exhausting. I had to get rid of it. It was because you have to, you have to, you have to constantly. There's no center. It's like of gravity. sitting on a Swiss ball. Yeah. It, worse, because on a Swiss ball you can find the center of gravity. So on this contraption that he designed, um, or his friend had designed, you literally could not remain still. And I think Siemens were testing them out in meeting rooms because it would keep people far more alert, and then meetings would be shorter because people would want to get off these contraptions because their abs and their lower back were you're just kind of, anyway, going way off topic, but just exhausted. <laughs> Chairs, it's a huge industry, don't mock it. And you can pick any other, any other. I mean, there's, yeah, auto, there's yeah. auto, major auto shows still, I don't know why, in almost yeah. every city in Europe. I know, you know? I know. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, is there, was there one moment where you're like, oh, I'll remember this when you were doing this, you know, the demo day? of 30,000 people where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening or that's unexpected or some, some thing that happened that you'd be like, oh. Two things, the challenge, really kind of challenging, stressful thing was for the first time managing this entirely new thing entirely remotely and trying to fix, you know, problems, some speakers missing, showing up for rooms at certain times, having to reschedule things and figuring out how to just coordinate all that on the fly I mean, it wasn't really me. I was watching the team figure it out and they, they were amazing and we figured it out. But that was that was particularly stressful. I think it was just seeing feedback of people, often people who were kind of critical of stuff that we might have done in real life, just saying, wow, this is the first online conference, I think, that's going in the right direction or, you know, which is still high right. praise. You know, this is actually the direction these things should be going in. It's not about just zoom with a poll or you know doing a zoom call with live chat it's uh it should be a lot more than that and um you know, i have to say i'm shocked the um the kind of the chat roulette function worked i thought they're just on the face of it that sounded like that's not gonna work yeah well we scaled it on tuesday it wasn't available for everybody wednesday afternoon it started to be available for everybody and then we started to push it uh, uh on the thursday and there were yeah there were no there's no reports i met lots of it's great. I just met lots of great people from uh, from all over the world. You know, from the founder of Boston Dynamics, who I knew, but he, I was like, "Is that wow? Is that your? Is that your like your factory where you build robots?" He's like, "Oh no, this is my at home, just kind of garden shed, some tools in the background." I'm like, "What? That's the size of a tennis court, and those <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of robots in your in your garden shed." <laughs> you know, so it was amazing. It was his home. Obviously, he kind of maybe repurposed his, uh, some part of his house during lockdown yeah. or something. It was kind of incredible. But uh, yeah, overall, had a great time. And I think I asked this earlier, but I'm not sure we got to the number of it. Just in terms of a, from the business perspective, if you're charging less, but you don't have all the costs, the production costs, does how does this work out from just a dollars and cents point of view? Is it comparable? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it kind of sustainable if, God forbid, this is the, just the new normal? Um. I don't want to give people some sort of kind of false hope. Again, I just think we're, you know, we're a really bad example. I'm very conscious that I'm, I've, I, you know, I've helped a lot of people that have become my friends who are, you know, it's like chefs all running different restaurants in ways you don't really compete with each other because 
I mean, you can go out to dinner five nights of the week in five different restaurants on the same street. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's, it's not like a watch. Once you own one watch, you can't own another watch. So those people compete fiercely for wrist real estate. Whereas people involved in conferences, I think, um, you know, Chris Anderson from TED has been to Web Summit. Tim O'Reilly has been to Web Summit. Guys from MWC, yeah. Gary Shapiro, who organizes a CES has been. So, you know, it's everybody kind of knows each other. I, I don't want to give anybody kind of false hope that there's definitely a way forward. I think there is a way forward, but I just feel we're in just a little bit of an unusual category where we've built the software, we know how to use it, and it's been part of our DNA from the start. But I, yeah, I, abs- I absolutely think. I think there'll be conference companies that will emerge that will never run online events, and that's of course, yeah. that's, of course, that's yeah. going to happen. It's like Coursera. I mean, Coursera is just university online. It works perfectly well. It's a great business. And um, yeah, the same will happen with conferences. And then one of the Mandela children was at the event. Yes, Cybella, uh, I think Mandela. Yeah, he was just, it was just kind of the timing with Black Lives Matter and uh, just the passion with which he was speaking about, you know, some of these problems, I think he was very forthright, if I'm recalling correctly, you know, his views that you don't just, these things sometimes just aren't solved. You really have to make a demand of the status quo. They don't benignly just go one day, oh, you're right, actually, there's some systemic issues here we haven't addressed. We should probably now start to address them. You really, you have to push, you have to demand, you have to shout, clamor, you have to be angry and um, power doesn't concede easily. Yeah. You know, there's all these, it never, never has, never will. And that was, the, there was this kind of vibrancy in, um, in how he was uh, addressing these things, you know, right, right. it's not through polite discourse sometimes that many of these intractable and systemic issues are, uh, are resolved. It's indeed, it is people out on the streets and just shouting and getting angry and just saying, this isn't good enough. And, you know, hopefully what's happened over the last number of months in the United States, you know, is going to lead in the long term, medium term to um, more positive change, especially with regard to you know police violence and, and brutality. And you're beginning to see, you know, elements of that even now beginning to bubble up in other countries in the world that mightn't have thought that they have, you know, yeah. systemic issues with regard to profiling by uh, by police. But maybe there actually is. And if, if that's true, it should definitely be looked at and, um, and resolved. Yeah, for sure. Well, look. Thank you for taking the time. I'm glad it worked out. I look forward to seeing uh, the reports from Web Summit. But um, yeah, good luck with it. Kind of uncharted times, but it sounds like, you know, so far so good. Appreciate it, Danny. And we hope to see you at, uh, at Web Summit. Take care. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Patty uh, for taking the time and for imparting all that really interesting conference knowledge around (laughs) chair conferences and cardboard and all these random gatherings of people that you never think about, but obviously happen every year. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, um, you can wow your friends with uh, random conference tidbits now, so you're welcome. I hope you guys have a good week. Please, um, I'm actually off this week. I'm on vacation, so nothing in the paper this weekend. But I'll be back next week writing as per usual. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter, at Danny Fortson, or email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for this week. Stay safe. Stay sane. Bye-bye.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.